Sometimes uh, we can talk about something so much, uh, we can just go on and on and on about a particular topic or a particular idea or something we heard or something we think or something we believe, but sometimes we can talk about something so much, we actually can stop thinking about it. We're just talking about it, but we're not actually thinking about it in any meaningful way. And for Christians, I'm afraid we do this often, and, and I'm afraid that we do this about one of the most important things that we tend to talk a lot about as Christians, and that's faith. Uh, we talk a lot about faith, but I, I'm, I'm fearful. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if a lot of us, we've stopped thinking about faith. Uh, we talk about it, we sing about it, you know, there's sermons about it, we have conversations about it, and, and we use the word in lots of different ways. But I, I'm not really sure if a lot of us who follow Jesus, if, we've, if we have recently just stopped for a moment and paused and we've pulled back a little bit and we've actually made ourselves think about faith about, you know, let's just start with what faith is. Now, you, you know this about me because I tell you about it all the time and, and sometimes read some things, but I, I keep a journal if for no other reason. It's not a diary. It's just, it's, just a, it's just sometimes I make a lot of notes to myself and they're very random and they're full spectrum. And, and I write a lot in my Bibles and things that I want to remember and, and not forget. And so I'll write in the front of my Bible, you know, the same things, just whatever Bible I'm in, I have it a carrying uh, in whatever season it is. But, but there's been a definition of faith for me uh, that I have held on to for a few years now. And, and when I think about faith and I make myself think about faith and, and I start with, well, what is faith? Uh, is faith just a set of beliefs? Is it just a creed? Is it a set of doctrines? Is it just some boxes that we can check off of? These are some things that I do and these are some things that I, I don't do as it relates to my behavior. But, but when it comes to me thinking about faith, uh, the definition that I keep going back to over and over again is this right here, that faith is confidence. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And really, any way you want to slice it, that, that's really what faith is. I'm sure there's a better way to say it. I'm sure it has been said in better ways and in different ways. But, but for me, when you, when you deduce it all down to the lowest common denominators and you put everything on the bottom shelf, faith is confidence that God is who he says he is. So when God says that he is good, that means despite whatever life may try to say otherwise to me, that, that even though life is hard and even though life is painful and even though there's injustice in the world and, and when life is just, when it can be excruciating, because God says that he is good, I have confidence that God is good because he says that he is good. When, when God says that he is gracious, that he treats us better than what we actually deserve. And though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And sometimes when we try to keep score of how well we're doing in life and how our life looks and what we have and what we don't have and what's worked out and what's not worked out, sometimes it doesn't always feel to us like God has been better to us than what we deserve. Sometimes it feels like we've gotten actually worse than what we deserve or just exactly what we deserve. But because God says he's good and because God says he's gracious, I place my confidence in that, that that is true. I'm gonna believe against maybe reasons to believe otherwise. When God says that his love is unconditional, I choose to have confidence in that, that God doesn't restrict his love towards you or towards me because of the way I was last week or the way that I was last night or what I said or what I didn't say, that God's love, it's no strings attached, it's unconditional. It's unending, and I place my confidence in that. I choose to put my confidence in that. When God says that his truth is unchanging, 
That means that when I look for a true north, when I look for what is true so I can understand what's not true, I don't look to culture, I don't look to politics, I don't look to anywhere else or anybody else. I look to God because he says his truth is unchanging. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. What's true is true. It's always been true. It will always be true. It doesn't change. And I put my confidence in that because God, that's what he says about his truth. When, when God says that his justice is unwavering, I don't have to get freaked out when I feel like really bad people or evil people are getting away with heinous acts or when somebody is getting away with something or, or when something we feel like needs to be rectified or, or made right. I don't have to freak out about that because I believe that the justice of God is unwavering, that one day God will bring justice to the world in a way that is both good and gracious, in a way that I can count on to know that every wrong thing is gonna be made right. The world doesn't tell me that. Nature, by just looking at it, doesn't necessarily tell me that. Experience doesn't tell me that, but God tells me that, and I choose to place my confidence in that, in a confident way that's not some, you know, close my eyes, uh, cross my fingers, hope so kind of way, but a confident, persuaded kind of way. It's a conviction. It's a persuasion. It's the confidence that when God says he's going to do something, I believe it. But when God says that he's going to forgive me of the sins that I've committed and he's not going to have a record of it to count against me, then, then I believe that. I put my confidence in that. And that helps me escape things like guilt and shame and constantly beating myself up and compromising my own self-worth and my own self-view. Uh, when God says that he's going to turn every bad thing good, I place my confidence in that and it gives me hope. When God says that all the grief of this world is not gonna be compared to the glory of the world to come, I, I place my confidence in that. And all of a sudden it gives me a brand new perspective in the way that I live today and the way that I think about tomorrow. And, and so faith is just not some intangible confidence, some ethereal confidence. It, it's, it's practical, it's concrete. Matter of fact, faith is confidence that God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do and living my life accordingly. That's how concrete it is. That's how consequential it is. That's how far reaching the tentacles of implication are in your life, in my life. It's living as if what God has said about himself and what God says he will do is actually true. And it's bringing what I say I believe into alignment with how I actually live my life. It's bringing into alignment what I say I believe and the choices that I make. It's bringing into alignment those things. That's what faith is. It's what I believe and how I live my life all running in the same direction. Now, the stronger my faith and the stronger your faith, the greater the confidence that you will have in God and the greater confidence that you will have in what God says he will do. And the smaller the gap will be between what you say you believe and how you actually behave and how I actually believe and how I actually behave. Because sometimes, you know, we say one thing, and then there's a large gap between what we actually do. And that's why the New Testament spends so much time talking about faith. Uh, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that feels important. That at the end of the day, God's not pleased by necessarily a set of boxes that I've checked or, or a set of things that I've stayed away from. God is pleased when I place my confidence in him. When I place my confidence in him and then I live my life in light of that confidence, then that's what pleases God. Jesus said that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And, and that just sounds amazing. And what he's actually saying is that whenever life puts, in some, puts something in front of us that feels impossible, 
or impassable. It's faith that helps us move forward in the face of what seems impossible and impassable. Uh, faith is what turns impossible things into possibilities. Uh, at the same time, though, faith is not some magical force. It's, it doesn't turn God, you know, into our genie in a bottle. Uh, faith is what helps us remember that God is the God of possibilities. And so faith is just not to be used at our disposal for this whim or that whim. It's simply living every day knowing that God can do whatever God wants to do and that I can trust him with whatever he chooses to do. But, but here's something to not forget. Faith in the New Testament is presented to us as something that can impact outcomes. It, it, it informs the decisions that we, that we make, uh, the paths that we take. Um, moms and dads, think about this. Faith, it will actually impact and influence and shape the way that you choose to raise your sons and your daughters. That's, that's a big deal because everybody, we love our kids, we love our sons and daughters, and faith is something that will shape and influence the way that you raise your children, the way you spend your money, the way that you see your career, the way that you process the events of the world. Faith is this really, really massively important thing. Uh, one of the most intriguing passages in all of the New Testament is found in Mark chapter 6. And it says that Jesus came into a particular village. And when he came into that particular village, he could do no good work there. He could do no big work there, amazing work there, miraculous work there because of the people's lack of faith. So faith in some way creates an atmosphere where God is able to do some really amazing things because God has chosen to act through our faith. So God invites us to place our confidence in him. And so then as we read through the New Testament, you know, and we find all these really important, really kind of cool things about faith, we also, you know, find four categories as it relates to faith. You, you find people who had no faith, people who had fake faith, people who had little faith, and people who had big faith. Uh, people who didn't believe and they just owned it. They just didn't have faith. People who had fake faith. That was a lot of the religious people in Jesus's day. Uh, they talked the talk, but they, they, they really didn't have a confidence in God. Then there were the disciples from time to time who was said to have little faith. And whenever you find little faith, you tend, you tend to find a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. And Jesus would say, oh, you have a little faith. Oh, you have a little faith. Oh, you have a little faith. As if you shouldn't accept little faith. You shouldn't be content with little faith because there's a fourth category. There's big faith. And on a couple occasions, Jesus encountered people that it caused him to stop in his tracks and turn around and look at the people that he was with and say, this is great faith. And it says that Jesus marveled at their faith. And for Christians, I already know, this is, this is what we all want. This is what we would like to be true of us, that we are people of big faith, great faith, amazing faith, faith that causes Jesus to marvel. Big faith, not little faith and certainly not fake faith and, and certainly not no faith. But the question begins to be then how do we get big faith? How, how do we have great faith? In, in the face of everything going on in the world and in, in the face of everything happening in our own personal worlds, how do we grow the faith that we have into great faith? How do we grow the faith that we have into bigger faith or to amazing faith? And, and here's the thing, it's just not about trying harder and being better. It's not about trying harder and being better, though that's what most of us think about when we think about growing our faith. We just gotta try harder, try harder. We gotta be better, we gotta be better. And there's no joy in that. 
There's no excitement in that. It's hard to be passionate about faith when it's all about just trying harder, trying harder, trying harder, and being better and being better and being better. And that's why a lot of Christians, they have no sense of joy. They have no sense of peace. And they walk around beating themselves up, plagued by guilt and shame because they think that faith is all about, you know, doing better, doing better, doing better, and doing harder. Just just going after it. And, and you just need to try harder. It's not that at all. What if when it comes to big faith, what if? What if having big faith isn't about making one big move? What if it's not about making one big move? What if big faith is rather about taking one small step? And that's what I want us to think about for the next few minutes. What if big faith is not what you think it is? What, what if big faith is not, you know, this giant leap into the dark? What, what, if, what if getting to big faith, what if growing your faith in the direction of amazing faith, great faith, what if it's just about making one single step? And we're going to look at a passage, and it's the account of how the first disciples of Jesus actually became disciples of Jesus. Men like Peter and Andrew, James and John, men that we often think of in terms of big faith. These guys had amazing faith. Uh, These guys had a faith that many of them would actually die for. They would lay down their lives for their faith. That's what kind of great faith and big faith they had. But before they were men of great faith, they were men of no faith. They were men of little faith. Before they became people of great faith, they weren't people of great faith. And this is their story. This is what Luke says. He says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, crowding around Jesus, and listening, listening to the word of God. Now, this is just a normal day. This is, this is a Monday. This is a Tuesday. This is a work day. And it's just like every other day. And nobody in this story has woken up that morning expecting something life-changing, something big to have happened or getting ready to happen. Uh, Nobody was thinking in terms of that. Like most of us, we don't get up, you know, we won't get up Monday and we just won't spring, you know, out of bed and think, oh my gosh, today's going to be great. Something life-changing is going to happen today. You may be that person, but most, most of us, we aren't those people. We don't get out of bed that way. But, but this is one of those stories that just from the very get-go just reminds us about the loaded potential of any given day. When you're walking by faith, when you're open to faith, when you're available to faith, that on one given day, when you least expect it, God can show up, God can open a door of opportunity, God can intersect your life or my life with his, and all of a sudden, the trajectory of everything changes. So this is just a normal day. And so here's Jesus. He, he's, he's attracting a crowd because that's what he was good at. He was good at attracting a crowd. And, and he, he, he got people who wanted to listen to what he had to say because, you know, he spoke with authority, which didn't mean that he yelled at people all the time. It, wasn't, it doesn't mean that he powered up and looked down to talk to people all the time. But he just spoke as one who had authority in such a way with his poise and his presence and, and his disposition that when he spoke, people wanted to listen to what Jesus to what he had to say. They were attracted to what he had to say because no one had ever heard anybody speak the way that Jesus spoke. And it says that he saw at the water's edge two boats. So here comes Jesus. He's got all these people and they're wanting to listen to what he has to say. He he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen 
who are washing their nets because washing your net is what you did at the, at the end of a long night of fishing because um, not only would you try to catch fish in those nets, but sometimes inadvertently you would catch garbage and you would catch brush and all those things. And so you would try to come and, you know, at the end of the day, you would wash those out so that you'd be ready to go fishing the next night because that's when you would fish in those days. That They're not fishing for hobby, they're fishing for necessity. This is their business, this is their job, this is their career. So this is early morning, they've been fishing all night. They're just now getting off work. They're finishing up their shift. They can't wait. They can't wait until they, you know, they finish washing these nets out and they're gonna go home. They're maybe gonna get a bite to eat. They're gonna try to get some sleep because they're gonna start the whole thing over later that night. And so this is the scene. All these people, Jesus is there. He's working his way to the water because all these people, you know, they're crowding in and then he sees two boats. And it says he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and that's, that's Peter, the one belonging to Simon. And he asked him, He asked him, now, when you think of Simon Peter and you think of the great faith that one day he will possess, and when you think about the faith that he has one day when he will actually choose to lay down his life for his faith as a prisoner of Nero in Rome, when you think about Peter, the man who's gonna stand up at Pentecost, the man who's gonna perform all of these miracles that we have record of in the book of Acts, when you think about Simon Peter, don't ever forget, that his journey to great faith, it began with Jesus asking him a question. Asking him a question. Jesus asked him, hey, would you put your boat out a little bit from the shore? Hey, Peter, I know you're washing your nets, but will you push out just a little bit from the shore? Will you, will you stop what you're doing and will you get in your boat Will you stop what you're doing and get in your boat and let me get in this boat with you and you push me out a little bit from the shore? And Peter's entire story moving towards great faith began with a simple but very inconvenient question. And I guarantee you for many of us, our journey towards great faith, towards bigger faith, more mature faith, will begin with a simple but inconvenient question of God asking us to do something something that perhaps we don't even want to do because that's what's going on in this story. Peter is tired, he's frustrated. What we're going to find out is he's fished all night and he hasn't caught a thing. Fished all night and not caught a thing. Now, that's one thing when you're out fishing for hobby. That's a whole entire thing when you're fishing for a livelihood, when you're fishing for necessity, when this is your business and you've not brought anything in. That's a big deal. So he's tired. He's frustrated. There's, there's a lot of angst. This is like, oh, my gosh, this was a waste of night. We're going to have to make it up tonight. I don't even know if we're going to be able to make it up tonight because, you know, how much control can you ultimately have over catching fish? And so he's washing his net. He's preoccupied thinking about all this. He's tired. He wants to get home. And Jesus interrupts him and says, hey, I would like for you to take me out on your boat. And that's where it kind of begins with a simple but inconvenient question, which reminds us, or it should remind us, that if you're looking for convenience, Jesus may not be what you're looking for. If you're looking for a version of faith that's convenient to ever how you want to live, if you're looking for a version of faith that's convenient, you know, that always works with your schedule, that always works with your personality, that always works with your desires and your whims and your dreams and your plans, if you're looking for a version of faith that's always convenient to everything that you got going on in your life, Jesus may not be what you're looking for. That version of Jesus sells where? Sells well. That version of Jesus incredibly popular, but the gospel 
epistles record a whole different version of Jesus that oftentimes begins with offering us a major inconvenience. You know, there's that whole thing about deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Incredibly inconvenient to take up a cross, incredibly inconvenient to deny yourself. It's, it's, if you're looking for that, Jesus may not be what you're looking for. If that's what you hope faith is, maybe you have the wrong idea about what faith is. So he says, Peter, will you get in this boat and will you take me out a little bit from the shore? And it says, then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Peter, Peter said, yes. Peter said yes to a simple but inconvenient question. He was willing to be inconvenienced because Jesus asked him a question. He didn't like what he was being asked to do, but he did it anyway. That's the journey towards better faith. That's the journey towards bigger faith. That's the journey towards amazing faith. It almost always will include you and me being willing to be inconvenienced, to say yes to something that we don't want to do to say yes to something that we feel like we don't have time to do. And so here's Peter. He, he takes him out and he says, okay, good enough, whatever. I'll do this for you. Again, this is not the first time they've met. They've actually met at least once, maybe twice before because Andrew, uh, Peter's brother, has introduced Peter to Jesus a few days earlier. So this is not like Jesus, some stranger hopping in his boat. No, Peter's met Jesus before. And so he, he's willing to be inconvenienced. He's willing to do this. And so they go out a little bit from the shore because Jesus is gonna use the water as, you know, sort of a microphone, an acoustic. He's gonna play off the acoustics of the water so he can you know, preach to all of those hundreds of people on the shore. And now it's just Jesus and Peter and Peter's out there sitting in the boat and now Jesus is teaching in the boat and Peter, I imagine, thought to himself, how did I get myself into this situation because I have nowhere to go? I have to listen to this dude now. I, and so, you know, I know how men are, you know, because I, I see some of them from Sunday to Sunday, you know, I can tell the ones that their wives have made them come to church on that particular day. You know, it's just like, and, and I, I just, you know, if that's you and you try to, you know, bull your way through a sermon, I'm telling you, I take that as a challenge. I breathe and live and eat off that stuff. I'll, I'll just keep on preaching until you look at me. I will make you smile at me before I let you go. And, and it's just like, yeah, it just makes me want to go harder. Come on. I'll pick somebody out and it's just like, and I'm like, okay, okay, game on, brother, game on. And so it's like, you know, Peter's out there thinking, what do I do now? You know, does he cross his hands and kind of let everybody know, God, I got myself into this. Does he look up? Does he look down? Does he look at Jesus? Does he fake like he's interested? And so he's just out there now. He has, he, he's got to listen. He's, and that's, again, that's another, another lesson about faith. That, that great faith, better faith, stronger faith, more mature faith. It, it just begins with listening. Listening is such an important part. That's, that's why the church has been basically doing what we do for 2000 years, where we get together, we pray prayers, we sing songs, and we study the scriptures together. Because we understand that faith is connected to our listening. And so Peter is out there and he's, he's listening to what's going on. And he doesn't know it, but faith begins with listening. Faith gets stronger with listening. Sometimes we're listening and we're catching more than we even know that we're catching. We're retaining more sometimes than we even realize we're retaining. And then, you know, Jesus would teach that it's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and maybe something we heard three months ago that we didn't even think that we remembered. 
that we get three months further into our journey and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings to our mind something that we heard months ago that helps us, that we find relevant and practical and helpful in the moment. And so faith and listening, it goes hand in hand. And so there he is, he's out in the boat. Jesus is teaching and preaching. And it says that when Jesus had finished, he said to Simon, and here comes another question. Hey, would you put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch? And Peter's thinking, I, I thought you, you started praying and I, I knew it was time to go. You know, you, you, you wrapped up. I, I could hear the choir singing just as I am, which was the cue. It's time to leave. It's lunchtime. You know, I can go home now. You know, I thought I, thought I was done with this. I was a good trooper. I was a good guy. I said, yes, and, and I'm, I'm ready to move on. But now you're telling me, let's, let's go out to the deep water so that we can catch fish. And this is Jesus asking Peter to do something that Peter has done a thousand times. But yet Jesus this time is asking him to do it differently than he's ever done it before. And this made no sense to Peter because this request obviously reflected that Jesus knew very little about fishing because you fished at night. So when the sun set and at night the fish would come to the shallows and you could only drop your net so deep. So that's about the only time that you could catch fish. During the day while the sun is out, the fish go incredibly deep and you can't drop your nets that deep. So there's absolutely no chance of catching fish during the day. But here during the day, Jesus, this carpenter is telling a fisherman how to fish and put on top of that, that Peter's tired and he's frustrated. He doesn't want to do this. He thinks that this won't work. Matter of fact, in his mind, he knows it won't work. It's just not inconvenient, but it's impractical. It's not efficient. It doesn't make sense. This is not what you do. If I do this, Peter's thinking all these people, all my peers over here are gonna think I've lost my ever loving mind because why would I go to the deep water and fish this time of day? But the question is, will Peter listen to Jesus? Will Peter trust Jesus enough to follow through on what Jesus is asking him to do? That's the question and that's the question for all of us, every single day, in every single situation, is will I trust Jesus or will I trust myself? When Jesus asks me to do something that feels inconvenient, impractical, something that I absolutely don't wanna do, something that I'm convinced it won't work, it won't make a difference, I've tried it before, other people have tried it before, so I'm just not gonna do it. But in those moments, if I can get aside from all of that and actually follow through with what he's asking, that's the path to bigger faith. It says, Simon Peter answered him and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. And this is like the beginning of what I imagine is gonna be a bunch of excuses. This is, this is a protest. There's all kinds of things loaded in this. And Peter's like, man, we've done this already. We didn't catch any last night when you're, supposed to, when you're actually supposed to fish. So we're not gonna catch any by fishing when you're not supposed to fish. So he's got a defense. He's got reasons, he's got justification, he's got rationalizations of why he doesn't wanna do what Jesus is asking him to do. Just like all of us, we've got it. We've got them at the end of every sermon, we've got them at the end of every book, we've got them at the end of all the times that we're confronted with, this is what God wants me to do. This is what I feel like God is leading me to do. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is put in my heart. This is what I need to do. This is what God is asking me to do. And then that's when we start what Peter was feeling. Hey, this is not a good time. 
God, this is not a good time for me. You just don't understand. Right now, there's a lot going on and what I feel like you're asking me to do, I just don't have time to do it right now. Or you just can't do that kind of thing in my line of work. It sounds good on Sundays. That's a good sermon. And, you know, it it makes for some good material, but you just can't do that. You can't can't be that kind of guy. You can't be this type of woman in in the kind of work that I do. I mean, people would just run the other direction. I, I think I would hurt my business. I think that I would probably lose clients or maybe later, just not now. This is, this is just not, this is not, just not the best time for me. Or it won't work. I know it won't work. I've tried it before. I've seen other people try it before. This makes no sense. Why would anybody do this? Why would anybody spend time, spend money doing this? There must be another way. I'm too tired. You can just go on and on and on with, hey, I I know what you're asking me to do. It's clear. There's no question. There's a nudge in my heart. There's this little whisper that just won't go away. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I need to do, but I don't want to do it. I don't have time for it. It's impractical. It's inconvenient. I just don't want to. And Peter had all of that. But listen to what he says next. He says, but because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Not because I want to, not because I think it's a good idea, not because I think it makes sense, not because it's practical and not because it's convenient, not, not because of any of that. I, I'm gonna do this just because you said so. That's the only reason that I can come up with that I should do this is because you say so. Now, I want us to stop for a moment because we're getting to the end of this passage and, and I just want us to pull aside and I want us to think about what we already know, all right? And I, I want us to think about this idea that we may, we may never know what may be at stake when it comes to doing what God wants us to do. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute. We never know what may be at stake when it comes to doing what God wants us to do. Peter didn't know in this moment. He, he didn't know the future that hung in the balance. He, he didn't know the rest of his story. He, he didn't know where the trajectory of history was gonna ultimately take him. He didn't know. And in those moments, we never do. We never know the full story. We never know what this choice may lead to. We, we never know where this path may take us to. We never know how the trajectory of our own stories and families and marriages and children's lives, how it may be impacted. Peter didn't know this. Now, it would be nice. Can you imagine if Peter, if Peter you know, would have been there with Jesus and Jesus would have said, hey, I want you to go out here even though you don't want to and even though you think it's inconvenient and impractical, I want you to take me out there to the deep and I, I want us to go fishing. And even though you don't want to, and even though you think it won't work, I I wanna tell you why you should. Because Peter, if you'll take me fishing in the deep water, you're gonna see things that you've never dreamed that you would ever see. Peter, if you take me fishing in this deep water, one day you will walk on water. I know you don't understand it right now, but one day you're gonna walk on water. You're gonna defy the very power of nature itself. Peter, if you take me fishing, one day you're gonna see blind people get their eyes, their their vision back. You're gonna see deaf people get their hearing back. And you're even gonna see dead people come back to life. Peter, if you take me fishing on one particular day, I'm gonna take you, James and John, and we're gonna go up on a mountain and you're gonna see my glory revealed. People are gonna call it the Mount of Transfiguration and you're gonna see my glory revealed, the glory that I had with the Father before the world began. And up there on the mountain, I'm gonna introduce you to some people. You know who I'm gonna introduce you to? I'm gonna introduce you to Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah are gonna show up to that party and you're gonna get to meet them. If you take me fishing, 
One day, Peter, you're going to preach the very first Christian sermon, and you're going to see thousands of people get swept up into the kingdom of God. You're going to become the de facto leader of the Christian movement. Peter, if you take me fishing, let me show you something. Look at this. This is St. Peter's Square. And Peter might have said, well, it looks more like a circle to me. Well, don't worry about it. It's St. Peter's Square. And one day, you know who they named it after? You, St. Peter. What's a saint? You are. I am, you are. You are a saint, Peter. They're gonna call you a saint. And look at this. They're gonna build a church. It's called St. Peter's Basilica. It's in Rome. It's in Italy. And it's gonna be named after you. And it's gonna be one of the most incredible construction projects in all of history. Matter of fact, let me show you the inside of this. On the inside of this, Michelangelo, he even painted inside. Who's Michelangelo? Don't worry, he's a big deal. He's coming later on. But Michelangelo, he, he's going he's gonna to do some ceiling work, and there's going to be amazing, and there's going to be all of these pews. I know, you don't know what a pew is, but it's going to be where people sit, and it's going to house 60,000 people. 60,000, it's going to be the celebration of the Renaissance. It's going to take them 120 years to build it, and it's going to be named after you, and dignitaries, and kings, and head of states, they're going to come there. They're going to bury you there. You're going to be the first pope. What's a pope? I, don't worry, it's a good gig. You're going to be a pope one day. And they're going to say, Pope Peter, you know, it's going to be amazing. Peter, that's all going to happen if you take me fishing. Now I have a question. Will you take me fishing? And if Peter would have known all of that, Peter would have said, you bet I will. That sounds amazing. That, that, who knew? How deep do you want to go? How far out do you want to go? But in those moments where God seemingly asks us something impractical and inconvenient and silly and outdated and we never know what hangs in the balance. We never know what may be at stake. And it says when they had done so, because that's what makes the difference. It's just not listening, but it's doing. It's just not starting, but it's following through. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I mean, it was incredible. So they signaled, listen to this. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I mean, it was a miracle. They didn't only catch fish, but they caught such a large number of fish, they couldn't get it in the boat. And I wrote in my Bible that there's something miraculous on the other side of obedience. See, we love the miracle on this side of obedience. Jesus so inconveniently placed the miraculous on the other side of obedience. That on the other side of obedience, that's where we find breakthrough. That's where we find progress and freedom and maturity and peace of mind and quality of life and things like joy and peace and purpose and contentment and fulfillment. On the other side of obedience, we rarely, if ever, feel it on this side of obedience or even in the process of obedience. But on the other side of doing what God has asked you to do, that's where you find the miraculous. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of my plan. Don't be afraid of when I ask you to do something from here on out. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. 
From now on, you, you can trust me. You can place your confidence in who I am and what I'm asking you to do. Don't be afraid of my plan for your life. Don't be afraid when I ask you to do what's inconvenient, impractical, ill-timed. Don't be afraid. So they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and they followed him. And this was the beginning of their journey to big faith. They're not there yet. Peter doesn't have that type of faith. I'm gonna lay down my life for you. Matter of fact, he's gonna deny Jesus three times before he ever gets there. He's got a journey. He's got, he's got a process that he has to go through. But this was the beginning of their journey towards great faith. This is where it begins. This is where it always begins. So when it comes to big faith, when it comes to great faith, I just want you to imagine something for just a moment. I just want you to just imagine the best that you can that you wake up every single day, not with little faith, but with great faith, that you wake up every single day with amazing faith, that every single day that when your eyes open and you take that first conscious breath of the morning and you get out of bed, that you are absolutely confident that God is with you, that God is for you, that God loves you, that God has forgiven you, that God has chosen you, that God has placed his favor upon you. That every single day you step up out of bed and you are absolutely convinced, you have confidence that God's plan, he and his plan, I can trust it. I can trust God's plan for my life. That, that I absolutely am confident that God has a purpose for me, a purpose for me today in all the mundane things and all the spectacular things and all the things in between, that I am confident that God has a purpose for me and that I see all the parts of my life as a means to a greater end, which is His end and His glory. That my job, when I go to the office, it's a means to an end. It's a means to His glory. It's a means to an end, my career, my resources, my relationships, everything that is a part of my life sandwiched in there from the time that I wake up until the time that I go to sleep, that God has attached a purpose to it and God's got a plan for it. You imagine waking up every single day and being confident of that, conscious of that, how that would change your perspective or your sense of fulfillment or contentment. Big faith. Big faith isn't about making one big move. It's about taking one small step, followed by another small step, followed by another, followed by another, followed by another. Hey, Peter, will you take me off just a little bit off the shore? Yeah. Hey, Peter, will you take me to the deep water and let's go fishing? Yeah. Hey, Peter, will you follow me so that I can make you the fisherman of men? Yeah. Peter, when you deny me three times, will you, uh, will you trust that I still love you, that I've forgiven you, that I got a job for you to do? When you denied me and when you failed publicly and you let everybody down, will you trust that I still love you and my plans for you haven't changed? 
Peter, one day when you're in jail and Nero has seemingly lost his mind and they ask you to recant your faith, to deny me all over again, will you trust that even though you lay down your life, that you can still trust me, that the best is yet to come? got to the place where he could actually say yes to that. It'll be your one small step followed by another, followed by another, followed by another that will take you to places and take me to places that we never dream possible when it comes to our faith. To a place where our confidence is so persuaded may start with a conversation that God's been nudging you to have with somebody that you're worried is far from faith. It may be just simply somebody you've been thinking about calling up and inviting to church or back to church. It, it may be just starting some time of reading your Bible or, or having a moment of prayer in the morning. It, it may be practicing a lifestyle of generosity, but one small step in front of another, in front of another. And I promise you that if you do what God invites you to do, you'll never regret it. If you don't, you'll never know what hung in the balance if you had. I have no regrets in my life attached to obedience. I don't. I have no regrets ever attached to doing what God has asked me to do or told me to do or that was just there in the scriptures, black and white. I've never regretted obedience, but I'll tell you, the regrets that I have, the regrets, the regrets that I'll will carry with me are almost always attached to when I didn't do, when I didn't trust, when I went my way instead of his way. So don't do that. Don't do that. Because you'll never know how it could have changed your life, your family's life, your children's life generations of your great-grandchildren's lives. So my question to you is, what is your next step? What is it? What is it? You already know. Start with that single small step and then make another and make another and make another and make another. And perhaps one day you will have a faith and I will have a faith that Jesus would call amazing faith, big faith, great faith, faith that changed the outcome of your life, that your life ended up in a different place. Your family ended up in a different place. Your kids ended up in a different place. Your finances ended up in a different place. Your career ended up in a different place than where it would have been if you had gone. ended up in the better place, the best place, which starts with one small step in front of another, in front of another, in front of another. Father, thank you for reminding us that big faith, it, it, it isn't always flashy, it's not always sexy. Big faith begins with a small step, a small single step 
followed by another. And I pray that whatever our next steps may be, for some, it may be getting baptized. For some, it may beginning to follow Jesus for the first time. For some, it may be pulling aside and and getting some time in the scriptures every morning and and having just a small time of prayer every morning. And maybe it's about living faith out in the workplace a a little bit more uh, of a vivid fashion than what what it's been in the past. And, And maybe it's just, Lord, whatever those next steps are, I trust that probably most of us already know that next step. And I pray that we would just take it that we would make that next step, trusting you that's gonna be worth it. And Father, also being expectant that we have no idea where it may lead us. So speak into our hearts and give us that confidence and help us to choose that confidence to take that next step in following you. In Jesus' name, and all of us said, amen.